0: Morning church. How's everyone doing today? Good. The past several weeks we've been walking slowly through the book of James and he tells us in the first chapter of his letter if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart that person's religion is worthless. This morning, We find ourselves in chapter 3, where James expounds on what he means by this statement. But before we get into it, guys, let's pray. Father God, you are so good. We come to you unified as one, asking you to open our ears and open our hearts and our minds to be poured into by your word this morning. Father, I ask that you use my tongue to be faithful to your word and display your heart. Lead us, Father. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. So last week, Stephen walked us through what genuine faith in God will look like and how our lives will start to show the fruit of good works based upon the rebirth of our salvation. And how that expression of faith with our mouths, yet without action behind it, is actually a dead faith that cannot save us. James starts that section in chapter 2 by asking us, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? can that faith save him I think that's a little precursor to what we're going to get into this morning and it brings my mind back to chapter 1 verse 26 if anyone thinks he is religious yet does not bridle his own tongue but deceives his heart that person's religion is worthless see our tongues can be used for a great and many thing we can lie We can manipulate and deceive. We can flatter or slander. We can tear down and gossip, curse and destroy. But we can also use our tongues to bless, to encourage, to empower and edify, to teach, exhort, rebuke, and help our brothers and sisters get untangled From the snares of our sin. This is the great power in our tongues. And as followers of Christ, we need to be aware of how we use it. Proverbs 18 20 and 21 tells us, From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat of its fruits. So let me, guys, let me ask you this, guys, this morning. How many of us growing up were taught, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? I certainly was. And while this may be a helpful saying for us to develop thick skin as we're being slandered or ridiculed, it's not totally accurate, is it? The truth is, Words have far more impact on our lives than we may even realize. Even more so, the kinds of words spoken by different people at various stages of development can have far more impact on us than we may want to admit. Right? Words have the ability to do tremendous damage or build incredible confidence in a child, for example. If you tell a child they're worthless they grow up without knowing they have value and this most certainly harms the child well into adulthood. But on the other side if you reinforce with, uh, within your child that they're loved and valued and you use your words to encourage and teach that child will grow up knowing their worth and become a well adjusted adult. This isn't only applicable to children. See, how we use our tongues with one another's as adults can affect both their life and our own. See, we can destroy relationships with our words or we can use them to repair what is broken. We can spread lies to tarnish another's reputation or gossip about them to accomplish the same end. We can belittle and break another's confidence in something new that they're stepping out to try. Or we can use our words to build them up as they're low in confidence. See, truly, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And let's keep that in mind as we read from James. Let's turn there. Chapter 3, we'll read 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. See, James chapter 3 starts us off with a warning and a given consequence. Not many should desire to be teachers because we will be judged with greater strictness. Guys, this is a statement that I have to take seriously because of the task that God has placed before me. As one who teaches, I have to heed this warning because of the consequences set by God. And because of this, I have to wrestle through the entirety of Scripture so I can present an accurate representation of God's word. But you guys, this isn't just a warning for me or whoever may stand before you. See, the truth is, this is a warning for far more of us than we may ever be aware of. If you work in the kid's wing, you're a teacher. If you work with the youth, you're a teacher. If you lead a small group, you're a teacher. If you are a parent, you're a teacher. If you hold any place of influence or leadership, you're a teacher. If you are in a management role at your place of work, you're a teacher. Guys, if you have a social media account, you're a teacher. See, we live in a time right now where it is far easier to become a teacher than ever before in human history. Most of us just don't realize that we're standing in that position. But if any of us have a desire to lead, teach, guide, or influence another human being, this warning is for us. Now, this warning is not meant to scare us, so please don't misunderstand me and use it as an excuse to hide yourself away, right? This Warning is meant to inspire reverence for God and his word within us. This warning should be taken as an encouragement for us to study God's perfect word more deeply and instill in us a greater love and understanding for his teachings. In doing so, it will help us to walk more upright in the positions of influence that we have. For we all stumble in many ways, and if one does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, for any of us in here who follow after Jesus, we know that we're not perfect men. We know we stumble in many ways, and we know that there was only ever one perfect man, the Lord God, Jesus Christ, and we strive after him. I also think that it's important for us to understand the meaning and context of this warning so we can guard ourselves from the pride that is the cause of the warning See, James is writing this letter to Jewish believers who have been dispersed, as he states in the opening of his letter, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And in many ways, the Christian teacher had replaced the Jewish rabbi. In the culture, rabbis were held in high esteem and often given more reverence than the common believer. Jesus himself chastised these men in places like Luke 11.43 where he says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Or Matthew 6.5 where Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, They have received their reward. And Jesus did this in various other places through the scriptures as well. See, we can see by taking scripture as a whole that the heart which desires to be a teacher for its own self-gain and authority is the reason for this warning. That if any one of us is proclaiming faith in God for our own gain and our own glory, we are already approaching this faith with the wrong heart and motive. Christianity is not at all about us gaining our own authority, but rather it is about this wonderful gift of salvation that Jesus gives us through his authority in which he has it all. To him belong all the glory, not ourselves. For his death brings this gift of life that not one of us could boast about having earned why Jesus says in John seven eighteen, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. As we continue to read through chapter 3, we see James begins to give us these analogies about our tongue. It presents to us a picture we can see start to come into focus. See, verse 3 tells us, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. But then in verse 7 and 8, he tells us, for every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Do we catch that? See, James is drawing this comparison to man-taming animals by controlling their mouth, yet we're told no human being can tame his own tongue. This is interesting. I really don't want us to miss it. Then we look at verse 4. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of many things. In these analogies, while taking the chapter as a whole, we should see this picture develop a little bit. And let me try to explain. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. This is the state of the natural, unregenerate man. And when I say unregenerate man, I mean our fallen, sinful state before the Holy Spirit indwells us. Our tongue sets the course for our lives, and as we know from many other places in Scripture, our tongues display the sinful works of our flesh. Let's just go over a few examples through scripture now of how our tongues work apart from the spirit of God. Romans 1:29 through 31. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, Hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Ephesians 4:31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Colossians 3:8. But now you must put them all away: anger, wrath, malice, Slander and obscene talk from your mouth. 1 Peter 2.1 So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Titus 2, three. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Mark seven twenty one through twenty three for from within out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder adultery coveting wickedness deceit sensuality envy slander pride foolishness All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And there's many other occurrences through scripture. See, we see a few different words associated with our flesh and they consistently repeat throughout the word of God. And I think it would be good for us to clearly define some of these terms so we can get a clear understanding of how our tongues Can sin. Slander is a false tale or report maliciously uttered and intending to injure the reputation of another by lessening him in the esteem of fellow citizens. Or, more simply put, it's lying about another person's character. Malice is intentional ill will for personal gratification, typically from a spirit of revenge. Gossip. It's a little bit different than slander, but it serves that same end to tarnish another's reputation. Where slander is intentionally speaking falsely about a person, gossip is speaking about a person behind their back with details that we don't know to be true or sharing true things that should be kept confidential. Deceit is the intentional misleading of people, it's lying. Clamor is noisy shouting, typically to exert dominance. I also want to touch on the concept of flattery. We get this term used frequently through the scriptures and is defined as smooth and seductive speech, most often with the intent to manipulate for personal gain. This form of speech, we are told in places like Romans 16 that says, For these are the kind who do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive. Or Proverbs 26, 28 that says, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. And again, there are many more instances See, to use our tongues to manipulate and deceive by being over, overly complimentary and disingenuous is just as sinful as being malicious or slanderous. Yet it can sometimes be difficult to know the difference between genuine praise and fictitious self-serving compliments. See, these are all these ways that we can use our tongue that scripture clearly defines to us as Sinful. We are told that these are the works of our flesh. They are what is natural to us because of the fall of Adam. And as Jesus says to us in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, he says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. The language That Jesus is using in this passage sounds really, really familiar to what we read at the end of this section in James, chapter 3, verse 12. James says, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's keep that in mind and then go back to context of what Jesus is telling us when we have to give account for every word. We'll take Matthew 12, through 37 now. And Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, if we really want to get into understanding the text... This message that Jesus and James are echoing is something Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 15-23, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So we can judge a tree by the fruit it produces. And Jesus is telling us that out of our hearts come the production of these fruits. He tells us that trees producing bad fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's our eternal consequence for sin. Guys, this is the bad news. And if we're honest with ourselves, we might be feeling some anguish in our hearts right now, right? Looking into that mirror is not always fun. It doesn't always feel great. And I can say examining how our tongues is something that personally I avoid sometimes. But the beauty of the gospel of Jesus is that God does not leave us wallowing in the bad news. He does not leave us without hope and encouragement, and he does not leave us without a beacon of light to guide us out of our muck. So let's circle back to those analogies that James uses about a ship being piloted and animals being controlled by bits in their mouths, and let's let the gospel of Jesus' sacrifice comfort our souls. When we come to this place of sincerely admitting that we are not good trees, that not one of us is righteous and producing good fruit, then we can seek mercy from the God of creation. See, this God is patient with us. God is kind to us. He is encouraging and merciful with us. God is rich in forgiveness and he does not keep a record of our wrongs, When we come to him, he forgives and he wipes the slate clean. See, God gives us these beautiful gifts one after another, bringing us from glory to glory with grace upon grace upon grace. Not only did Jesus, God the Son, take upon himself all of our sin, past, present, and future, and nail it to the cross with him, paying our debt, And satisfying the wrath of God, he then ascends to heaven and he sends us the helper, God the Holy Spirit, who then makes his home within our hearts. So to those of us who place hope of salvation into the hands of the loving Father, we're given the Holy Spirit, God himself, to live inside of us. The Holy Spirit is the pilot. We are the ships being steered by him. The Holy Spirit is the rider. And we are those wild stallions being broken in and tamed with bits in our mouths so that we can be faithfully ridden into battle. Through the Holy Spirit's conviction and his sanctification, he is the one taming our tongues for No human being can do this. When we are saved by faith in the work of Jesus on the cross, we are grafted into his good tree so that the God of all creation can sustain us. We get the most comforting promise of all found in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work within us Will see it through to completion on the day of the Lord Christ Jesus. See, God will prune us. God will clean us. He will grow us. God will be producing fruit in our lives. And all we have to do is cling to our King as if our lives depend on it. Because they do. Guys, let's open our Bibles to John 15. We'll read 1 through 17. This is Jesus talking to us. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Guys, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Father, thank you for choosing us and grafting us into your tree. Father, sustain us. Fulfill us and use our lives to produce fruit for your kingdom. Father, sanctify us, clean us and wash us up. Help us, Father, to follow after your Son. For we are not good, and he is. Father, make us good. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your salvation and your forgiveness. Thank you for making a way. And in the beautiful name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Have a good day, guys.